The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU Recruitniks, presented by Sooners360.com. Each and every week, we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting, including offers, evaluations, schedules, opinions, and more. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Sooners 360 podcast. No, it is not Matt tonight. He is out this evening, but you do have myself, Barry. And as always, I am here with our recruiting analyst, one and only Chris Mason, as well as the uh, analyzer of all things football. The guy who understands the game, really knows it, and and provides us with all these awesome evaluations that you see over there on Sooners360.com, Mr. Caleb Cummings. This is episode 22, spring practice just started, recruiting never stops. And recruiting never stops, Chris. This is a massive, massive weekend for Oklahoma. Uh, We've been keeping up with it over there on Sooners360.com. You have had a lot of work with all of the names. It looks like right now, 70-plus on campus in Norman this weekend. We'll talk about the logistics and what that's going to look like. Man, just give us the... uh, the bird's eye view right now of this weekend, uh, just with the 25, the 24, how that's all going to blend together um, and tell us what Sooner fans can expect. Well, they're calling this weekend the Future Freaks weekend, which is a which is a new label, a new name. I don't remember that name last year. So it's actually going to be 24 kids, 25 kids, some 26 kids, and actually a sprinkling of 27 Wow. So it's going to be four classes worth of kids on campus. Of those 75, 70 plus that probably will be on campus, probably about 50 have offers between 24 and 25. I'm not sure OU's made any 26 offers yet. If they have, it's just a handful because Brent wants to see, uh, they want to see some grades. They want to see some tape. They want to see varsity tape before they, they make any offers. So I'm not sure any 26 offers have gone out yet. And it's it's going to be a huge weekend. Um, it's I thought it was going to be a good weekend for 2025, which I thought was actually going to be the focus, like March 25th, the 25 class. I thought OU was kind of trying to make like a you know correlation between that, but it's it's just blown up beyond really our ability to track. We have a great guy on our website, uh, Saptown Sooner, who helps us track all this stuff and. Uh, he's done an incredible job. We have a great list on our website in terms of tracking who's there, but 
every time he updates it, three or four more players say they're coming. So it's been almost impossible for us to keep that thing up to date. Yeah, and it's going to be um, just interesting to see the the logistical way uh, of how this is all done. Uh, but we'll get into more of that kind of as we go. Who are some of the highlight names, particularly on the 25 side, that uh, that OU fans can can expect, and who are some that you know maybe we see a commitment before the end of uh, end of the school year, maybe something in the summer. Uh, what is that looking like in terms of who is going to be physically on campus? Well, if everybody shows up who's confirmed, and there are lots of late names kind of being added, we just found out that Las Vegas, the Bishop Gorman offensive linemen that OU have offered for 2025. They're all going to be in Norman. Uh, and there's a couple other late names that have kind of showed up as well. But the 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 stunning thing here is if everybody shows up who's supposed to, OU will have six players who are ranked in the top 30 for 2025. Um, we've mentioned one of them. We mentioned several of them last week. The first one being DeCorian Moore, the number one wide receiver probably in the country, number one player in Texas from Duncanville. Uh, then we've got Devin Sanchez, who's the top cornerback in Texas. He's also got a top 10 ranking by a couple of services. He's from Houston North Shore. And OU has never been able to break the uh, break this lock around Houston in terms of elite cornerbacks. And it looks like Devin Sanchez might give OU that, that real chance. Then we have another name that can be familiar to OU fans, at least the last name, Dejon Petaway. And that's Jaquez's cousin who plays at, uh, plays ball at Katie Powtow. And he's supposed to be on campus. He's a cornerback. He's probably right below Sanchez, another top 30 national talent. Then Davin Mitchell the superstar tight end from Allen who's transferred out to California is also supposed to be on campus. And there are lots of rumors going around that he's going to reclassify to 24. And if he does, he might fill the sooner tight end spot for 24. And I love Davin on film. He's 6'4", 240. Just, it's just, there's shades of Jermaine Gresham in his, in his, in his highlight reel. Then with local kid, Jaden Nickens from OKC Millwood, another top 20 kid, wide receiver, uh, is going to be on campus. And then two names, three, two names that I hadn't, hadn't heard of before, but everyone's saying they're going to be in Norman. First one is Philip Bell, the wide receiver from California. This will be his second time on campus. He was back on campus last summer. He's from California, and he is just, he's fantastic. He's probably right below DeCorey and Moore probably maybe rated ahead of Jade Nickens. So really, some are in the, the top five wide receivers in the country. Three of them are going to be in Norman this weekend. And then we got two fascinating running backs, Jamarian Parker from the St. Louis area and Tory Blaylock from the Dallas area, both going to be on campus. And they're number three running back, number two kind of running back ranking. So those are just some of the names. And if this looks like there's going to be almost maybe 17 top 200 kids for 25 on campus this weekend, which is just just absolutely crazy. Two names I think could fall to OU fairly quickly are Malik Hawkins, Michael's brother. 
he's going to be on campus. He has a he's a cornerback. He's at he's at Frisco uh, Emerson with his brother. Uh, he's about the same size as his brother. He's a six two cornerback. A lot of echoes of his dad watching him watching him play. For those of us that remember Mike, when he was a uh, basically looked like a freshman All American for the Sooners back in I think it was two thousand and one. And then another wide receiver cornerback player, Elijah Thomas from uh, Chicota, is also going to be on campus this weekend, and he loves OU, so I think he could fall at any point. So that's a lot of names I just hit you with. So um, I, I do want to ask, um, in terms of the the Hawkins situation, d- do you have any feel on that? It is the brother. Uh, the, you know, kind of the all everything quarterback that OU has obviously, you know, been in discussions with. Does it feel like a factor with Malik, or is are, are these sort of two separate situations that OU fans don't need to necessarily look at as being a, kind of a package deal? I'll be honest. My vibe on this situation is that, and we're kind of like moving ahead to a different topic, but I have a strong feeling there's a chance Malik verbals this weekend and Michael does as well. I think Mike might, Michael might move up his April 8th uh, commitment date to this weekend that they're ready to, that if Malik's ready to go and Michael's ready to go and they're both on campus, I think we could see commitments from both, from both players. I think they're following each other regardless. I don't think this is a, I think it's, it, it may be very similar to the to the Eli Peyton Bowen situation, but I think Malik might if Mike verbals and says, "Yeah, I'm ready to call it." I think Malik might just say, "Yeah, I'm ready to take this and I'm ready to grab this scholarship because I want to play with my brother." Because right now the OU cornerback talent that they've offered is is impressive for 25. Yeah, and I did want to comment. You know, you, you were running down the list of players, and I think one. That you know really intrigues me for twenty five is is Philip Bell, and watching him, you, you brought him up, but watching him play, I, Sooner fans aren't necessarily going to like the comparison, but there's a lot of of Trajan Bridges of go and get the ball. He's aggressive with his hands. He he plays physical. He's six two, but probably plays like he's six four six five. And and just a good mover. So so that's somebody who I think he's already got a pretty you know lofty ranking right now. But I'm not going to be surprised if he passes uh, a few guys as as things get a little bit closer for those 2025 guys. But speaking of Michael, uh, kind of a great segue. Also going to be a bunch of 24 kids on campus. A ton of big names. And you know, bigger names than OU fans have been used to in the in the previous years, especially all coming in at one time. So, of the athletes that are probably a little bit closer to committing, that Sooner fans should probably probably be getting to know a little bit better. Uh, give us the rundown on on who's there for twenty four. Well, in terms of names that that might be ready to commit, and I'll start with that group first. Uh, I think Michael Hawkins is if he if he's coming up with his brother there's a good chance that he just decides while he's on campus, while he's meeting with Jeff Levy again, you know, if, it, if OU is his choice, why not just, you know, why not just pull the trigger and, and, and then, you know, his brother can pull the trigger and, and just make it a, you know, a celebration uh, while they're in Norman. But Michael Patterson McDonald, 
the DB from the Oklahoma City area, is supposed to be back on campus. He was just on campus about two weeks ago with his best friend, David Stone, um, five-star defensive tackle, David Stone. And he's supposed to be back on campus. And I think he's a threat to verbal. Also, um, we had a bunch of really big-time visitors this week, 24 kids. One of the kids who visited was Devin Jordan from Tulsa Union, and he just got an OU offer. And I'm having a hard time seeing how Devin Jordan and, and Patterson McDonald hold hold on to those offers too long without verbaling because OU has an impressive DB list that they're working. And if they want to be part of this class, um, I think they might want to go ahead and jump on those jump on those offers. Well, what is your vibe that you get um, if just from the uh, the way offers have been going out, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, as to how OU is or isn't holding guys' feet to the fire? I, I mean, I know in years past, it's been a deal where, you know, that they're kind of locked in on one guy, one guy's sort of leaving them hanging for three, six, you know, almost as much as a year. Uh, so, so what are your thoughts in terms of how the staff is is leveraging some of these offers and, and the direction they, they they sort of want to take the class, but also how they're how they're using this to ensure some commitments? I don't think they're worried about commitments because, you know, they followed this plan last year and and, and it worked worked out perfectly. But they're, they are making a lot more offers this year than last year. I think, you know, Caleb correctly identified that it's partly because I think their support staff is larger and more experienced in finding kids. So on the defensive side of the ball, the linebacker group looks fairly sad. Although uh, a name that visited this week, uh, Jordan Lockhart from St. John Bosco, I think is very, very interesting. He's 6'3", 230. Um, he just had a star showing at some camps out on the West Coast where he was the best linebacker there and was just dominating on defense. So I think that throws linebacker a little bit off because I think linebacker, I more or less had linebacker down about three or four kids, but I think Lockhart makes it more interesting. And then um, two deep, you know, and then two defensive backs that visited this week, Vabu Torre, the big safety from New Jersey, uh, who we talked about before last week on the episode, and Jeremiah Newcomb, a brand new name to me. Like all of a sudden, Jeremiah Newcomb's on campus. He's a top 150 cornerback from Arizona. Um, and now he's on campus, and I'm hearing rumblings that he really likes OU too. And so does Torre. So it it's it's interesting that they've got those names, and then they've got Marcellus Willis, sorry, Marcel Williams from St. John Bosco, who we talked about last week, who Looks like an elite, you know, island kind of big big cornerback, you know, plays on an island at St. John Bosco against the best best teams in the country. He's also coming into town, apparently really likes OU as well. So, I mean, the defensive line thing is mostly set, but I think defensive back is wide open. And I've got to make a class prediction here in about a week. And I, I'm struggling to decide what five or six names I'm going to choose at DB. Um, hey, Caleb, you had a chance to watch Newcomb's video. What did you, what did you think of him at cornerback? 
Yeah, no, he's a really good player. Uh, you know, I think the thing that's jumped out probably uh, the most to me is he's he's really smooth, right? I, I, he's not a he's not as big as Williams. Uh, he's listed at five eleven, and and that's probably accurate. Although he is, he's got some long arms, right? So got some long levers to make up for. Five eleven is not short. Uh, but we are kind of in the day and age where you're seeing corners up to, you know, six, three, uh, you know, the, the kid played for the jets this past year, whose name is, uh, uh sauce. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> so you're seeing some really big corners. He's not that, but I mean, he's just a kid that you watch on tape. He's just proficient in everything he does. Uh, again, like really smooth, confident athlete moves well. Um, uh, He's not super physical, you know, he's not, uh, you know, he's not out there just, you know, laying kids out, but at the same time you watch him, he'll put his foot in the ground, come up and he makes a play. He's not afraid to hit, uh, good in zone, good in man can, can really do a bit of everything. He's, you know, it's just, uh, a really solid player. And like every one of these kids, it seems like you watch his tape and you've got tape of him you know, playing outside receiver, playing inside receiver, playing wildcat quarterback. He, you know, just uh, does it all, uh, you know, so I don't want to say he's, he's not uh, like an, an elite athlete or anything like that, because, you know, you do see him at the wildcat position or at receiver making big plays. I just mean that he's probably not a, uh, you know, he's not a 10, five, 10, he's not a 10, four kid like, uh, like Caden Durham, but, you know, really solid player. I was saying, talking about Jordan Lockhart, maybe, you know, because I think the linebacker group was, is Peyton Pierce from Lovejoy, obviously Sammy Brown from Georgia they're going after. And then I thought Ty Anthony Smith, the other linebacker from Texas, was kind of the group. But when I look at Lockhart, I mean, I really see a, a thumping Mike linebacker. What do you think about him? Yeah, honestly, I thought the same. Uh, it's funny you say that. We, we saw that pretty similar because when you watch this tape you know again it's at bosco and they really play him uh, uh in the edge position a lot yeah they do yeah he, he rushes he rushes the passer quite a bit but he's not a you know he's not like an r mason thomas type you know or an oboe type that's real twitched up uh you know but yeah yeah you watch him just chase plays all over the field there's Fairly impressive, you know, for a young kid, and and maybe it speaks to, you know, playing at a at a program like Bosco. I think you can see you can see the coaching and some of the stuff he does. Right, you watch his pass drops, in, in particular. You know, he's his footwork, his his hips and his shoulders square to the line. He's not getting turned. He's not getting turned around. He's comfortable in space in that way. Uh, really comfortable, uh, but you see him just chasing plays 30, 40, 50 yards down the field, making plays. Uh, I think he would, to me, he's kind of what you want, uh, at least from a, a Brent Venables perspective, right? For your one of your inside linebacker positions, because he does have all that experience rushing the passer and blitzing off the edge, but he would bring a little bit of extra juice as well, right? And, and from a you know, from a blitzing standpoint, but yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, I, I wrote down, you know, ideal fit inside linebacker next level, uh, you know, limit his, you know, him, him being in space where a lot of what Brent does or he has done in the past anyway, right. At Clemson was, you would see a lot of interchange between those, 
outside linebackers, and it's different than his time at Oklahoma in the sense that it would be both the Sam and the Will. You would see interchange with with uh, uh, with the safeties in, in both in run fits and in, in how they would play the pass. You know, so you probably don't want a guy like Lockhart, you know, <laughs> out there covering, uh, you know, being a, being a deep middle player, but inside linebacker, he fits in really well. And, and I'm with you on the, I'm, gosh, to, to Barry's point, I'm not confused, but I, I'm really interested where all these guys. I'm, con- I'm confused. I'm confused. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I, some I regard, follow this right? all the because, time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, everyone has had Peyton Pierce, I think, in a lot of ways pegged for Oklahoma. Uh, and I, I didn't realize that. James Laurinaitis was at Notre Dame, and apparently no, he had a yeah, relationship yeah, yeah. with him. And he's and at Ohio State. He's at Ohio State. State. Yeah, he's, and, he's, and, yeah, he's shadowing so all of them. People the... saying, hey, yeah, maybe Peyton Pierce is trending to go want to play with, with James Laurinaitis, maybe. Uh, in the, <laughs> I said this on the board. I do not want to talk myself into Oklahoma landing uh, Sammy Brown. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, there, there is that chance in the sense that, you know, Georgia has landed a lot of they've, – they've stocked up at inside linebacker, and Sammy Brown is the exact guy. I mean, from when you when you read interviews with him and he kind of learned a little bit about how he's wired as a kid, that is the exact guy that Clemson built their program the last 10 years off of. They would go into Georgia and they would win that kid. And so, you know, now that Branson Norman in Oklahoma is moving to the SEC, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, Clemson to to the Atlanta area is really close. Uh, you know, just having Brent and Norman, but Oklahoma in the SEC, does that will that help Oklahoma, you know, in those it, battles? Yeah, I'm trying not to let myself think about it because you know, I, I'm a philosophy major from from college. And he's to me, Sammy Brown is like the platonic archetype of a linebacker for Brent Venables. I'm like He's so perfect. He has to, you know, we've got to land this guy. He's, when you watch him on film, it's just like, it's like every, I mean, he's 6'3", 230. He flies around the field. Um, if OU was still running the wishbone, Barry Switzer would already have him verbaled at fullback because yeah. he's he's deadly at fullback. <laughs> um, so but yeah, but I, I, so I've been kind of, I, I'm with you. I've been having, you know, Peyton Pierce and then who else? And like, don't don't and, say and, Sammy's. Don't say Sammy Brown. Don't let yourself go there. No, but but then I look at Jordan point. Lockhart and I'm like, ooh, Lockhart and Brown would also be really, really. That's a that's a. Pardon my French. That's an ass kicking inside linebacker duo that would hurt some people. Um, yeah, to me, to me, that's the interesting thing to watch. And I'll you know, I'll add. I, I've always felt Peyton Pierce for me is that guy I look at. And I'm like, DFW area instincts like for days as an inside linebacker hard nose like that just feels like the type of kid that just goes and plays for Brent. uh the thing that for me that's going to be interesting with the linebackers is again and just looking at more of the clemson tape for the past few years it, it does feel we're in, in at oklahoma we saw more of a you'd see in his past tenure a real a lot of interchange between the mic and the wheel and I think that's still the case from mm-hmm. how, you know, they, they kind of line. And I mean, if you know one, you, you you can know the other really easily. or You should be able to for, you know, football players and, and all these kids are. Uh, but again, at Clemson, he tended to use a, a 
a more athletic guy that can really play in space at that will and at that Sam. So I'd be interested to know, like, you know, does, uh, if, if you get up with Lockhart and, you know, uh, a Sammy Brown can, can Lockhart or Sammy play, play that will and the other one play Mike. It, it makes yeah, me I mean, wonder Barry. what that discussion looks like too, just on the side of how, how are they pitching to these youngsters where they will fit and and what are they is how much is that impacting you know well what the decision is going to be you know I, I think a guy like brown is so interesting because big time recruit he's he's someone that ou has had zero chance in being able to get and for him i think a lot of it will depend on how ou performs this year uh pierce feels like i don't want to say a foregone conclusion you never sort of count your chickens before they hatch but um with with some of the elite guys you just wonder what the pitch is and if ou's defense and venable's pass cachet is good enough to say you know hey can't guarantee you a starting role can't guarantee you this or that position still come and play for me. I promise we're going to get things right. So I'm just curious what those conversations look like. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brent's getting, you know, Brent got the guys last year defensively that I think kind of shocked us, the quality of the defensive recruits, right? Um, especially when the on-the-field thing went off the tracks completely. Everyone held, fa- everyone held fast except for the uh, the defensive end that ended up going to, to UT. He was the UT, you know, had the UT family. Um, and he's getting all these guys on campus. I mean, there have been five five-star defenders on OU's campus um, once Sammy Brown visits in early April um, during this early period, all on their own dime. So you've got you've got the defensive players, the talent there, and and you know another top 100 guys um, also coming in. So yeah, I, I mean, it's I think it's all right there, and I just I don't know. You know, with no verbal commitments, it's hard to kind of build the class. You kind of need some slots to start getting filled in. And maybe, it'll, it'll, you know, no use. We'll start dropping off some kids maybe. But but right now, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think OU probably will strike it, you know, by July, the end of July, we'll probably be at about 15, 18 verbals. And it's just going to be interesting. Maybe maybe the high-end elite are just the, the last holdout group on defense. Mm-hmm. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, and as we've sort of learned as Sooner fans the past year and a half, you know, not seeing a ton of commitments, you know, so to speak, down the stretch doesn't necessarily mean a a bad class is in the works or that kids aren't interested. Um, it, it just means that that the staff, what they prioritize is just different. Um, I did want to kind of get a quick rundown because – for those who don't know, by the time this podcast is out, we should also have the interview out, uh, but we were able to find out a little bit of information regarding this upcoming weekend for a 2025 youngster and also wanted to to maybe hit on a few others that we know are not going to be there this weekend. But uh, Chris, t- tell us about the interview that you just had that folks are going to be able to find on Sooners 360 and uh, and what we were kind of gleamed from that about this weekend and then as well as the other kids. 
Yeah, we were able to interview uh, Las Vegas uh, 2025 safety prospect, uh, Maitai Tongawe. I believe that's correct or close. Close. Um, he's 6'4", 195 pounds. Um, he's got offers from Oklahoma, USC, and Georgia. He's in the top 200 of the composite right now. And he looks he looks great on tape. And he was one of the kids that was supposed to be in town this weekend. He's had something come up. But he did tell us that there's going to be a big group of players from Vegas who are all coming to town. And, um, you know, he and he knows all those guys. He was rattling off the names. So it's interesting that Vegas seems to be a very – he was mentioning that he plays – he played um, – uh, under 14 football with all of these guys. And then they kind of go their separate ways to different high schools, but he knows all of them. So it was interesting to get some, some feedback from Matai about how his recruiting is going. And, and he's really, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious DeMarco Murray's rep, you know, our image of DeMarco Murray is kind of run in Vegas. That seems to be true. His, his name and cachet in that city from a recruiting perspective is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, for for folks who have not listened to it yet, as this comes out, make sure you all go listen. Uh, just a uh, very, very upstanding uh, young man. Really, really fantastic interview. Uh, was the first for the Sooners 360 podcast. So uh, going to be interesting stuff. So given all the recruiting news, Chris, that we've had and uh, going into the 24 class, trying to get things really revved up with 25, on the football side of what OU has on campus right now, and of course, Caleb also want to hear your your comments on this. How important of a spring as OU kind of goes into full swing with that is this for the Sooners if they want to keep solidifying some of these top tier kids and also just you know field a a championship level team you know this upcoming fall. Well, it's interesting. They changed the spring date so that spring practice dates so that the kids who are all going to be on campus on the Saturday will see a practice. So OU definitely wants to use the practice. You know, all the kids say they want to see practice and want to see OU working out. So I think if nothing else, it's going to be a huge, you know, show for all of the recruits in terms of getting a feel for how OU really works. But Beyond that sort of uh, event, um, the way I kind of look at this, you know, we, this podcast we've been going, you know, for the last sort of seven weeks uh, since January 29th. And we've been talking about just positive news after positive news about 24 and 25. I mean, just lots of kids on campus, lots of kids taking visits. You know, if you take the 24 class right now, you know, a potential top five showing is 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 pretty much right there. If you look at the 25 and you, you hear the names I discussed, I mean, I'm talking about like eight kids, you know, that are in the top 30 that are looking heavily at OU, including five-star wide receivers, five-star cornerbacks, offensive linemen, linebackers, and, you know, and uh, and tight ends. And and who knows where Kevin Sperry is going to end up ranked because his rankings, I think, are only going to go up. So I think you're looking at like OU right now has two top five classes, like, you know, within within grasp, right? But and it's right there. And the and the recruiting process is going great. 
They're, they're, the kids love what they see. Um, their OU is getting its message and brand message out there with the kids. But really, you know, it could really just all fall apart if OU doesn't, you know, have an advanced season this year. You know, if OU doesn't make a nine and three, 10 and two kind of move, I think it could all really fall apart. So from my perspective, this is like the most important spring practice, you know, since I think Bob took over in 99 and kind of got things, you know, righted back to respectability. Um, that that's That's my view. You know, and, and Caleb Damien's talked about it on our podcast about how how critical though those first two springs really were uh, for that team, um, especially from a recruiting standpoint, and how much some of the guys, the younger ones uh, who came in in ninety nine two thousand when when they got on campus. You know how much of a tone setter it was when Stoops first arrived, but also just just bringing those youngsters into the fold. You know, from you looking at this from afar, what does the product when the the players go look at it this weekend? What does the product need to look like? What are players going to be looking to see? Since they aren't going to be able to necessarily see a, a fall game just yet, what are some of the things that, that you might think they're looking for, you know, out of the practices uh, and, and sort of seeing their the guys playing the position they're going to be, you know, hopefully holding as a sooner? Uh, what are some of those things? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That's a that's an interesting question. And I probably go back a little bit to a story I can remember. Uh, it being talked about when when Oklahoma signed Geno Grissom, uh, defensive end out of Kansas, right? And this was, uh, I think, Geno probably signed 2010, 2009, somewhere in there. You know, he, he was a fairly highly recruited kid out of the state of Kansas. I think it was, a, you know, held some like power clean state uh, records, uh, great athlete, you know, drafted by the Patriots and, and, and played in the NFL for a little bit. Uh, he talked about the thing that stuck out to him when he got to Norman and why he chose Oklahoma. I think he was there for, I want to say maybe a bowl practice there for like two days. And it was the intensity and the attention to detail and how Venables, you know, how he went about practice that every other place he went, you know, there was this kind of kid gloves coaches, you know, want to be your friend, going to love on you. Let's go out to practice. And, you know, they walk them around and, you know, and it, you could tell a little bit, I think that, you know, there's a little bit of a show here, right. They're, they've got their bet. They're in, they're under their best behavior. It's like being on a date, right. Your first date, you know, <laughs> maybe you're not exactly who you really are, right. You're, best foot forward and and Brent being that consistent guy I mean was coaching hard it was super intense and extremely physical and he came away from that being like okay this is exactly where I want to be like this is how my high school is this is how I'm wired this is the type of guy that I am and I think that's actually really important and it kind of goes back to what Damien said, you know, about buy-in, right? Because I think that's the kind of there's two parts to that. You know, it's it Part of you know this is we you want buy-in from these guys that are coming in, but you've got to be who you are, right? And if you want to be a hard-nosed physical football team, you know, that's what they want to be on offense. They want to run the ball, you know, 
downhill and be extremely physical defense. They want to be physical at the line of scrimmage, suffocating safeties, flying downhill to fill to fill the run lanes, right? Like you got to be that every day, you know. And in some ways, that is you know uh, a good test for those recruits when they come in that they can see, hey, am I a fit for this? You know, so that kind of goes both ways for those recruits to be able to come in and and you attract the guys that you know are attracted to that. You know, the guys that want to be pushed, want to be tough, you know, maybe value that as much as anything and in, in how they're, you know, made up mentally. So I think that's, you know, going to be an extremely important thing, you know, on, on every level, right? Because, again, you do want to attract that. And, and I agree really wholeheartedly with Chris. This is easily the most important six months, not, you know, uh, that Oklahoma football has gone through since you know, January to August of, of 2000, because, you know, Bob went through some, some seasons here and there where, you know, 2005, right. There were lots of things happened coming off that national championship appearance and, and, you know, lots of turnover injuries, the Bomar thing, uh, you know, but at the same time you had Bob's track record. And I think there was this, everyone believed and knew they understood the standard and they knew, Hey, Bob will get this right. Right. It, it, we just, there was this massive amount of trust from, from every player to every fan, same thing. in Oh nine, when all the injuries struck, right. It was like, well, he'll get it turned or, you know, he, he's got this fixed. We don't have to worry about it. To some regard, there still is the, the question with, uh, you know, with, with Venables, if, Hey, let's see this. Let's see it on the field. You lost, yeah, you lost five games by by three points each, or you know, one possession. Uh, you know, in the in the other two, you you didn't have your quarterback, but still, you know, we've we've got to we've got to see it. And I think that, you know, for me, it, it's always going to start being physical and being physical up front. To me, one yeah, other yeah. thing is, I think I really think they need to see. If I'm if I'm imagining that you know the recruits also want to see the. You know, they want to see the the five star kids that be getting all the hype and the and the and all the noise. They want to see, you know, and OU really needs OU really needs our five star recruits to be five star recruits starting this spring. Mm. You know, we don't Great need point. you know, and I'm not going to pick any pick on anybody, but you know, we you know you know we don't we you know the last sort of five star defenders OU really had were Caleb Kelly and and Buki, right? We. Well, we don't really need their debuts. We need we need like an AD, Adrian Peterson kind of debut. I don't, I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but, you know, uh, if I was a five-star kid watching OU spring practice, I kind of want to see – I want to see Peyton Bowen and PJ out there, see what they're doing, right? Like, those are the guys I want to be with. Those are the guys I want to play with. So, and I think Desan McCullough sort of fits in that structure as well. Maybe Kanick does athletically that, you know – you want to see like the elite guys out there on the hoof running around. Man, let's let's talk about that a little bit because talking discussing this, OU was into their second practice today, and a lot of true freshmen are taking the field. Your Caden Greens, your Peyton Bowens, as you mentioned, your maybe lesser known guys like a Phil Picciotti, although we are very well aware of him. Um, Ashton Sanders, all of these guys. So Want to do a little bit of a of a stock report with you all, if you will, and uh, we'll start with uh, Caden Green. I'm gonna throw this to Caleb first because I'm really curious to hear 
you know, what he thinks the the development is going to look like on this side. I do have my opinion here, and I'll give that um, as we kind of circle around. But Caden Green, uh, Mr. Caleb, stock up, stock down, buying, holding. Well, what are you doing here? Yeah, I would say oh, yeah. it's it's a layered answer in this regard. And, and uh, it's we'll see what you think and, and what some other folks think. And this is going strictly off of a couple of seconds of video, seeing what he looks like on the hoof, right? But I would say it's it's stuck up. I'm buying the stock, but I'm buying the stock as a guard. Uh, and, and it just, and I think reason being, uh, I think he can play tackle, particularly right tackle. You know, seeing him check in at 6'5", 305, and it's, it's, it's a good 305. He just looks like he can compete potentially this fall, you know, uh, to be a backup. If he was a number two inside at guard, and he may not have to be, you know, with with some with the with the transfer from Miami of Ohio, uh, but I think he's he's got the ability to go in and compete there. And, and then the other part is, you know, you, when you see him on the hoof, and uh, maybe this is a, a poor guy to look at him next to, uh, but you know, next to Rouse and next to, uh, gosh, uh, Tyler Guyton, you know, there's there's he's not. I would say as as long as as those two those two gentlemen have some you know some kind of high end length for the tackle position, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm buying on Caden Green. I love the fact that he uh, you know he he's looking physically like he'll be able to compete to be able to compete early. I, I am 100 percent with you, and and I'll go as far as to say if putting Caden Green at guard. And then you have a guy like like Rouse um, and Guyton sort of bookending the other side. You now have just in those three guys, probably one of if the if not the most athletic offensive line in the Big Twelve. At, at that point, the you have Caden Green. That was one of the things that just comparing him to like a, a Bray Walker, who was a known kind of highly rated guy. Just the way they moved in high school was was totally different. And now having some confidence that Caden Green, uh, a guy like that's going to actually be physically prepared, like we know they will. The, the offensive line last year still had their growing pains, but guys didn't necessarily look like they weren't physically, you know, entirely there. It didn't look like that piece was completely missing. And now you've got another season with Schmitty. So uh, definitely buying, maybe a little bit of a of a buy and hold um, to, just to kind of see what the trajectory looks like. But but absolutely, especially at guard. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Well, I'm actually going the other direction. I am buying at tackle because with Sexton out and Rouse basically out, Who's your third tackle on the on the team? Mm, that's a good question. Right. So Guyton, Guyton, Aaron Parks, Parks, and then it it's either Caden Greens or you move Jake Taylor. Right. Yeah. Taylor played. So I think Caden Green is going to get mad run this spring at tackle. Now maybe they move him to guard because that just makes way too much sense. But if you're thinking about Everyday practice in spring. I think Caden Green right now is at worst your third tackle on the team. Yeah, I think knowing Beatonbow, he probably does tailor to tackle. But 
that's one of those things where if you're going into to fall with that, you know, maybe because, you know, Rouse, you know, health wise isn't there. Well, whatever the case may be, I feel like that there would be also be a quick trigger to pull and put a guy like Green out there. Um just with both of them being so inexperienced, as we know, if it was a, a Swenson type character, you know, he's obviously going to be out there till the ninth game of the season. But on 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 this, because the inexperience factor, it's kind of one of those who knows. And because of Caden Green's athleticism. Uh, I mean, I let's just, talk you, about you give oh, him go, this go much ahead. run. I'm sorry. If you just give Caden Green this much run and this much one on one time. With with B and B this spring that he that the other guys just because other guys are out he's going to get that much more work this spring than he would have if if Sexton and Rouse were healthy. That's the only thing I'm going with. So, now looking on the other side of the ball, a uh, guy who's Caden K- Green's probably been going against a little bit. Uh, PJ Adebayore. I, I have a feeling where most of us are, are leading here, but Chris, I'll let you get a crack at this one first. Uh, how do you feel on PJ? I think PJ is a freshman All-American. I'm buying every ounce of stock I can. He's a blue chip. The definition of a blue chip stock, freshman All-American, Big 12 Defensive Freshman of the Year. Both Sticking with both predictions. Caleb, what Both. about you? Both. No, I'm I'm buying. I uh I think he's in the perfect position to have a really to have the most impact he pop, he probably possibly could as a true freshman. And I think a part of that is uh Bothroyd and Ford and Downs, you know, being there as older guys, it allow it which should, you know, I would expect that it would, it would allow, you know, Roof and uh and Chavis and Venables to really be able to take guys like PJ and, and I want to include our Mason Thomas in that group of defensive ends because I think we're all excited seeing him at, you know, a twitched up 240 uh, with mm. still six months to go or, you know, five months to go until uh, the season. But I think they've perfect position to be able to, f- to spoon feed PJ and not, Hey, we don't got to toss you out there and make you play 50 staffs a game and try to play head up on a tackle. Right. And, and deal with all of this. You can take PJ and say, we want you to be the best pass rusher possible. We want you to go get 10 sacks this year and then spoon feed him every snap you can and, you know, just pure pass rush downs and let him go out and, and, and try to eat opposite of, you know, a Ford or a Bothroyd or an R. Mason Thomas. So, I, yeah, I, I would buy. The, I think that's going to be critical, just how they so, sort of ease him into the situation. He's in a lot better predicament than, you know, R. Mason Thomas was a year ago, just with more experience, depth out there, not really being forced to play so much outside just because guys, it, it wasn't that, they didn't have bodies. It was almost total lack of productivity and not having bodies. Uh, so well, Peyton and R. Bowen, Mason enrolled oh, early. Ahead. So yeah, our Mason enrolled didn't enroll early, so he didn't have the chance that PJ's having to go yeah. through. I mean, PJ's gonna, PJ's got spring. He had winter workouts, and he's he's going to be that much more ahead of our Mason than than our Mason. Poor our Mason, you know, was playing. Defensive end at what two twelve two fifteen? I think he was listed at two twenty two. Uh, yeah, he's probably a little heavier than that, but he wasn't big. Yeah, yeah. The, by and, the end of the year, the crazy maybe two fifteen. Right. I mean, and the crazy thing about him, and um, again, you can probably tell I'm a buyer in our Mason, but uh, 
I think Brent said he turned 18 in August or September. So just an extremely young kid. Like he's still, you know, uh, just he's barely growing into his body. So yeah, it's, uh, I think sometimes uh, we forget, you know, and Brent has a track record for really wanting to and having success of bringing guys along in that manner. You know, uh, uh, Curtis Lofton, you know, he did not start as a, as a true freshman, you know, he played in, and, and Brent fed him, uh, certain, you know, in certain areas and he split time as a sophomore. And then as a junior, it was all him and it was, you know, all American, uh, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with the kid at Clemson, you know, that won every single award, uh, and, you know, uh, Simmons, right. Before he was a, top 10 pick he redshirted and then you know as a redshirt freshman he fed him you know in areas where he knew he would excel and he wasn't putting a lot of risk you know and asking him to do too much and by the time he was in his redshirt sophomore really by the end of his redshirt freshman year he he was starting to come on as you could see hey this is a this is a future star and then as a redshirt sophomore i think it was that year maybe his junior year he went on and, and won every award so you know brent he's got a plan uh, I, I think that he, you know, for how he he likes to bring guys along, and, and he, I don't think he likes to toss them in the deep end and say, "See if you can swim." Yeah, and kind of moving further back in the defense, and then before we move on completely from PJ, um, I was, you know, maybe a touch skeptical of if he could have his body totally ready for for Division One high level tackles, you know, by fall, but. One of the things that probably impressed me the most was, you know, his work ethic. It went once high school was over, he got after it. And he he looked like a different athlete from the end of his high school season to when we started seeing stuff uh kind of roll around mid-December, end of December. Uh just looked like a different guy. And then of course, what we saw at the All-American games and just incredible stuff. Uh, but moving further back in the defense, uh, Peyton Bowen, um, uh, for me here, I want to say I, I am holding only because I feel there are other guys there who have solidified roles, but I do think he will have a role on this team, I, I think, as a punt returner by conference play. He will probably be the man. Some of the stuff he does is not not saying to that level, but Anto- Antonio Perkins esque with how he sets things up, the speed, the vision. Uh, Caleb, what what are you thinking on Peyton Bowen? You know, uh, I'm I'm gonna say probably gonna go with you on hold. Um, and I would first say I put this in on the board, right? Seeing him come in at, at six foot and one ninety one, you know, a, a couple of weeks into college, I, I was ecstatic about that because you did hear some folks say, at the you know at those at the Army games, oh, you know, he's not the most physically developed guy here, but you you watch him in the videos from, on uh, Sooner Sports and in the clips. And you see a guy that he's all of six foot and he's long armed uh, and knowing he's within a semester really right of 200 pounds uh, and he's really well built. That was to me exciting. Uh, the reason I would go hold is 
similar. And I, I think, you know, I think, I think Billy Bowman and, and Pearson are, are going to be there. And then, you know, I think one of the guys that just, we have a tendency to always do this, right? Uh, he, he signed the previous year and you're on to the next class and you forget about him, but it's Robert Spears Jennings. You know, I, I really, you know, I really think Robert Spears Jennings and Kendall Dolby, uh, you know, who signed this year from a junior college, I think they've got a chance, you know, uh, RSJ in particular to, to carve out, you know, a role in a place. And, and I could see, you know, Bowen really learning behind uh, Bowman uh, this year, and, you know, and, and getting reps and, and, and again, you know, maybe being his number two, but, but being, being the number two to, to Billy. Then I'll just kind of, kind of add to that a little bit in that if Peyton Bowen is not playing a ton of snaps this year, I think that bodes well for the Sooners. If you start seeing Peyton Bowen having to roll out there game three, game four, you feel like you need to throw him there, uh, throw him out there against Texas. That's, that means that you probably aren't getting the performance out of those guys on the back end that you want. If you have Peyton Bowen, you know, coming in and, and clean up in, in some of these, you know, cupcake games OU is going to have early or hopefully, you know, t- taking care of business with some of these Big 12 opponents. I think long term for the season and for the outlook of the program, that's probably best case scenario. Uh, what about you, Chris? I think I've got him in hold just because there are some talented guys in front of him. I do wonder though if you know, I'm kind of I'm just kind of wondering if OU goes with more of a three-three-five look at times, and maybe Bowen's your third safety out of that, out of that five DB group that he's on the field with Pearson and Bowman, and then you've got Gentry and uh, maybe Woody Washington, and and I think maybe that's a that's a five you know that's a that's five DBs. That's an interesting combination of guys knowing that Bowen, you know, has the ability to be kind of, you know, he's got the skills and ability to be kind of that cornerback safety mix kind of guy. And you've got Dasan still on the field at linebacker. So I'm holding on him until I see maybe that magical three, three, five look um, mm. on the field where I think you get Bowen's athleticism onto the field along with Pearson and Bowman's, um, you know, experience and skill. That's a good call out because I do think we'll see a good amount of three, three, five because of, uh, you know, because of Desan's ability. And I think the way you describe it is, is probably accurate. You know, it's Desan's ability is probably better from that position closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, and some of what you would see from like Isaiah Simmons and, and how they would do that. And, but in that, in that, in that, right, I think there's probably a case to be made uh, if if Peyton is what everybody thinks he is, and by all accounts he is, right? Maybe he's a good good guy to come in and insert for Pearson, where Pearson's more of a physical downhill safety that will come hit you. That makes a lot of sense. Bowen yeah. might give you, yeah, Bowen gives you some additional range and, and you know range and speed on that back end. So yeah, that's an interesting one. Good call out. I, I feel like they used uh sort of Brodney pool like that in, in maybe Oh three Oh four um, probably Oh three when, when he wasn't playing, I think quite as much um, as a guy who was almost a change of pace safety back there. And of course ended up being super talented, you know, hopefully Bowen is, is of the same ilk. Uh, but uh, Phil Picciotti, uh, I believe if I remember right, he was the first guy to sign that day. Uh, but but what are we thinking about him, Chris? 
Well, I think I think he's only a hold for me because of the the, the positive feedback we're hearing about Kobe McKenzie um, being a factor at linebacker. So, because um, I, I think if you've got Canick Stutzman sort of as the two inside backers and Desan as an outside linebacker, Cheetah, you know, I think you know who's who's your who's your next inside linebacker, and I think. You know, Kobe McKenzie, I think, is ready to make a move there. So I think it's a hold on Picotti just because just because some other guys are look are looking really good. Hey, Labot, I know we talked about it, you know, before he even signed, you know, j- just as as far as what his role would be, where he fits with this team with some of the athleticism that they've brought either recruited as a linebacker or like the next guy on this list, uh, Cade uh, McIntyre, who potentially could fill a role like that. Uh, what, what are you thinking about Phil? Yeah, I, I, I like Phil. Uh, I, I like him quite a bit in seeing him this week in the picks, right? He's he, one of the things I wouldn't say was a concern, uh, but you saw, you know, when he signed how big he is, you know, you saw like, it's probably six, three and a half. And one of the first thoughts was, gosh, might he spin down the defensive end if he gets, if he gets too big. And then you watch him, you know, and he's well-built he's not carrying bad weight at all uh, in advance. I, but I probably would at this time, at least I would be a hold and for the exact same reasons that Chris mentioned all of the, everything we've heard on, on Kobe McKenzie is in, I think you see it the same in, in the pics of him and in the video, he looks in great shape. He's lost, you know, any weight additional that he was carrying, right? He looks fantastic. And, you know, he, you know, word was he really focused on agility and, and footwork. And so, uh, you know, it, and, and Kobe's got a little bit of a head start, not much because he did miss a, a lot of time, but I would, I would probably be a, be a hold, but I'll, I'll add like, I, I, you know, throw this out there. I put this on the board way back when uh, it's worth a, uh, to go watch ESPN used to do uh, a thing called the season where they would follow. There's one for Iowa wrestling, uh, which is it's worth it just to watch for the, for, for Tom and Terry brands, assistant coaches, like just those characters. But uh, you should go watch the one for 1999 CB West. Uh, so central bucks West in Pennsylvania was an absolute power that kind of ran Pennsylvania high school football at that time. Uh, like late nineties, just, you know, old school, just crush your soul, get after you. And, uh, and Phil's uncle, Dustin was, uh, I think the top fullback in the country that year. Right. So I think 99 to probably the 2000 recruiting class. Uh, and he was, he was the stud on that team. And so it's a, it's a, it's a good watch. I tell everybody go, uh, go, go watch uncle Dustin, uh, play a little football back in the day. Interesting. I wonder if, I, I wonder if Phil, Finds his way on, finds his way, you know, to travel and not redshirt just because of special teams. Because, I mean, the kid hits. Chris, the kid hits. Oh man, I'm a little bit torn on that. Yes, I'm torn on that because I think my first thought is thunder, huh? that kid. He's a core special teams guy on every unit. But then I go back to like, ugh, will you go? Or do you want to redshirt him because? You just want to create, you know, he's, he can play, you know, that's not burn a year. Man, if he can get downhill and he is a, I don't want to put him up in this category, but if he is a Russell Dennison type 
contributor, the kind of guy who can impact a game. You know, well, Russell Pullen. Dennison made plays to win games on special teams. Barry so pulling it, a name from the from the deep locker. I mean, Russell the, yeah. was an absolute monster, monster. on special teams. And you want those. And he was doing that from, I mean, really the moment he got there in practice, he was, he was that guy and, and Phil, but both just kind of the genetic history with his family, just the, the tenacity he's shown in high school, his size, he is the perfect type of player where if you can put him out there and also not have to risk, you know, a Jaron Canick, you know, a guy, a, a McCullough or somebody who, probably would otherwise be filling said role if you can use a guy like Picciotti and get him to really buy in because I didn't think special teams was was necessarily bad last year but they weren't making plays and that's what separated uh, sort of the better Stoops teams maybe from some of the others right um, and has really separated the kind of the later you know the, in that second decade uh, going into the Riley era um, Years where they were better on special teams, they were a better football team. And I think having a guy like Picciotti, I am I am by all day just on the special team side. And, and another guy who, a little bit more of a project, don't know where he fits in. I was a huge fan of him. Uh, Cade McIntyre. Uh, Caleb, I'm going to give you the first crack on, on this one, man. Um Super athletic. We actually were talking about him the other day in a chat and uh, just his numbers through the roof, elite level. But where do you play him? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. So I would be, I would buy, uh, I would buy all day at this point. You know, there is, you know, and it's being talked a lot about on the board uh, today. The, I guess was I don't know if he, like one of the two starting tight ends for North Texas who did set kind of some some receiving records related to tight ends at, at UNT entered the portal and obviously the news is now you know we we talked about this a month or two ago right that Seth Luttrell would be coming back so there is potential there that maybe Oklahoma add could add a tight end here uh, over the summer uh, and, and get the kid from North Texas but if not I mean it's Cade's a, a buy all day simply in, in a lot of that is you look at the tight end room uh, you know and in, in, in the spring right now Stogner is the only guy that's healthy you know both both Helms and uh, and Llewellyn are injured you know and then so I think probably don't use the term injured more, probably more banged up for the Texas A&M transfer, Blake Smith, but he's limited and not be not able to go through, through, uh, through spring ball as well. Right. And, and like when you really dig into like Cade's uh, athletic ability and you look at it, you know, this past week he ran at, at six, four, two thirty, and he looks kind of like a meathead two thirty. You can see him really starting to fill out. Right. Ran like a 7-2, 60-meter. I mean, he's a 550-plus squatter, cleans over 350, you know, bench over 350. Vertical, you know, in the neighborhood of 39 inches, you know. Uh, I mean, it's just – and we've talked about this, and I, I, I really do hate bringing the name up. I just find it interesting because from a height, weight, speed, body composition, all of those things, when you look at them at the same point in time, he matches up 
he looks a lot like anyway, uh, athletic profile, Brock Bowers, you know, so I, I given where the tight end position's at and, and Cade McIntyre physically where he's at, you know, I, I I would buy. I think he's got a chance to come in, and he said he wants to go tight end first. I just wouldn't be shocked if if Oklahoma does not get the UNT kid out of the portal. If if you don't look up in middle of the season and, and McIntyre's you know number two or you know with with Stogner, I, I think I think I'm probably there with you. Well, well, what about you, Chris? Well, I put him on this list, and he's the only freshman I put on this list to guys for stock report for this reason because. Uh, he's not, he's, you know, he's getting to campus in June because, I mean, I think we got to be fairly, fairly afraid that Llewellyn, you know, he's got a growth plate injury in his foot. And that just, that sounds kind of worrisome for me for a tight end receiver. Have you Very ever heard worrisome. of that? I've never, um, obviously, I, I, I didn't know what it was. Either. I didn't know what it was. I was like, okay. Um, in the knee, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of like a growth plate issue in the foot. Yeah, it probably I am entirely spitballing, but if not a growth plate issue, because that word kind of gets thrown around, he could definitely have maybe some some growth abnormalities in in the bones, kind of in the foot in the foot above kind of the plantar fascia in that range. Which if he does, that's incredibly painful, particularly for a big guy, you know, and, and just. It's not a knock on him, but that was one of the things that him coming out, one of the reasons I thought maybe they try him at tackle was his gait didn't necessarily strike me as Big 12 conference tight end. Just the way he moved, everybody already kind of assumed he was going to be an inline, you know, sort of blocking style guy. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I no, that think, was just that was somebody. He played at Alito. They barely threw him the ball. He was yeah. basically. I thought he, last spring when he played, I was I saw him. I was like, they're moving in the tackle. They've got to right. I mean, it's he's, yeah, not, he's so big and he's so he's so. I mean, like he's got to move to tackle. It's just when are they doing that? And and now this type of you know issue popping up. If anything, if he can get recovered from this, it probably expedites that process because. Once you have foot issues pop up, maybe the saving grace is he's a younger guy, but a lot of times for for big players, you know, basketball guys suffer with this all the time. I mean, well, once you kind of have it, you have it. Um, It moves up to the knees, it moves up to the hips, and, and it's just something you now have to deal with. To me, the move to playing offensive line probably makes sense. Yeah, so I think... I think based upon and the, and I was a little surprised to hear Caden Helms was injured. I hadn't that was kind of like, oh, he's out too. So to me, looking at I went back and looked at McIntyre's high school film. He's his receiving highlights are great. Um, really good ball skills. I I I think you as a Sooner fan, I gotta buy everything I got in Cade McIntyre at tight end right now. Maybe I withdraw a little of those funds if we get the UNT kid. Or, you know, at some point, Helms maybe gets back and he, you know, maybe Helms gets back, you know, he gets some vibe. Oh, yeah, Helms is healthy. He's fine. Um, but to me, McIntyre's already like, he looks bigger than Helms. And Helms is, you know, 6'6", six, six, and he's 230. And, you know, McIntyre just looks from, from, again, purely 
a 60, whatever we can tell from a 60 meter run. It looks like, you know, his dad has, has made sure Cade has not been missing a, a weight or two. So I, I buy Cade McIntyre right now. Uh, because I, I don't see it, I don't see another tight another receiving tight end on the roster. I mean, I'll say it right now too. That the moment he goes into the tight end room, he is instantly the most athletic tight end that they have on their roster, and that they've probably had in the past the, since Mark Andrews. The the way he runs routes, and I'm talking about more athletic and a better mover than an Austin Stogner. And I know that wasn't. Stogner's calling card and the injuries absolutely had an impact on him. But, but Kate is just, he's a different athlete, you know, and this staff does not take flyers on guys who maybe they don't know where they fit, but that this staff, if that's the case, they make sure that you are of the top notch variety when it comes to your your athletic uh, KPIs, uh, kind of real quick finishing off the list, guys. Uh, Josiah Wagner, you know, he was interesting. I know on our podcast, uh, Macari Vickers talked about, you know, maybe him getting a look at safety, and that's been some discussion. You know, I'll start here. I'm definitely at at a hold with him. Kind of what we've already talked about with the players who came in last year's class, as well as some of the older guys who are just by nature going to start filling those roles. And you got Kendall Dolby. Where, where does he fit? So still a hold for me uh, with Wagner. Uh, Chris, what about you? It's a hold. If, if Josiah Wagner is playing big minutes this fall, things have gone badly wrong in the secondary. <laughs> I, I, I would I would go hold. I, I wouldn't go as far as. Chris, I, <laughs> as I, well, I, I do think Josiah has, you know, one, he's, he's 5'11, 171 right now. So, you know, to be 180, he's, he's got decent, he's got better size than I think a lot of folks thought, but he's got an intangible that on his side. And that is just an elite level of, of competitiveness. Like, dude is super chippy, but I would be hold and it's more to do, like, I think probably with, you know, Barry to your point, right? It's, my my hold there is is more around Gentry and Jaden Rowe. Uh, and Kendon Dolby. And, Kendall Dolby and, being like a, yeah. a nickel back, nickel, nickel corner. Yeah. He could be in that nickel corner role. He could do that nickel yeah. corner. And, and, and Woody Washington returning, you know. Yeah. So it would just be, I would say, I, I think he's in a good spot where he can learn behind a guy like Woody and then really get after it next year. But uh, you know, I would, you know, I would I would expect to see guys like Gentry and, and Jaden. And then and, and Kendall and maybe Macari roll out before him. This this is an interesting one uh, that that I saw here on the list, Chris uh, Ashton Sanders. You know, because the the defensive front has been highly highly talked about. Uh, but where where are we with him, Caleb? But what, what do you think? So I I would be similar. It's kind of what I said there with. Uh, with Josiah, I'm actually really excited about when I, you, you look at him and he's six one on some change and two ninety and the kid again like every intangible you would want from uh, maturity, uh, getting the understanding like the big picture and, and understanding the process right and, and the like daily commitment to that like a big buyer there. I, I just think you know Oklahoma's got I think was it five defensive linemen that are fifth 
fifth to sixth year guys, I, you know, interior, like that's just with, you know, uh, Jacob Lacey and Sears and Kelly and co and Roberson, just those guys. Right. Like, I think it'll be, I think it's asking a lot for, for, uh, you know, a true freshman that doesn't have some unique special thing. Uh, and, and he, and he may, that I just don't not aware of. Right. But, uh, he's not, you know, like a PJ that's un crazy twitchy. I, it'd be tough to unseat, you know, guys that are that much his senior. But it would definitely be a hold. Yeah, Chris. What about you with Ashton? Uh, does he have a role, and uh, is he a guy whose whose stock you are interested in? So I'm going to buy on Ashton Sanders just because. Ooh. I some some people told me that workout wise and just everything he was doing, he was he was flashing. They said he was. Flashing like he could be a factor this fall. I, I want to put out a guess as to why. And, and Caleb, me and you talked about this when we went over um, on his film. His size didn't necessarily blow you away like an Isaiah Coe. But one of the things that he has, and you've probably seen this study and tape before, that some guys just have the ability to know and understand the the pace of a snap count and then have just perfected that get off so well he had one of the best get offs of the entire class everything else that he did you would say on par with with a a defensive lineman of his ranking right except when it came to his ability to just blow past someone on the line of scrimmage. And I that is the type of thing that is is such a feel and it's such a, an understanding of, of the game. And, and yes, it can be utilized against you, but that's one of those you either I don't want to say you have or you or you don't have it, but but you kind of do. It's one of those that that is so much on just being able to to have a feel for timing. And then also yeah, that's you know. He's just good at it. That, that's actually that's a good call out, and I and I kind of take it back a little bit when I say that there isn't anything special because you bring up a good point, right? Although he's six one, I think his wingspan's probably six five of a six five kid, and he's got like a a he's got a more athletic kind of twitchier lower half than your average 290 pound defensive tackle when he's 6'1 290 and you watch to your point you watch him in high school and he's playing sometimes stand-up edge but he's playing defensive end and he's doing great at it so i mean that's i would say he does i would say he probably does have an athletic edge over guys like lacy co uh roberson uh and and those guys so i mean it's it you know, he could be this year's version of our Mason Thomas, you know, to, to Chris's mm -hmm. point, you know, it was, you know, last fall, it was everybody's kept hearing about, man, this kid just, you know, he's a football player. He, he understands feel and he's an instinctual pass rusher knows how to get by guys. And that might be, you know, to your point, Barry, it might be Ashton. Imagine yeah, the, I mean, three, yeah. the, the three, three, five, you want, you want you want someone in that middle who can get a pass rush. Yeah. 
right off, yeah. you know, quick off the quick off the quick off the snap. All of a sudden, you know, he's pressuring upfield, and and then you've got, you know, you've got R. Mason Thomas and PJ attacking from the flanks. I mean, that's sort of that's a little bit of where I, I just think after, mm. and I think this, you know, uh, Matt was all is all over Marcus Strong, and I'm starting to lean his way in that viewpoint as well. I just wonder if we're going to be looking at Ashton Sanders and Marcus Strong this fall and be wondering, man, Todd Bates really knows what he's doing. In terms I of told you line. guys about Marcus Strong, by the way. I got <laughs> Damien called me out on that and said, Marcus Strong, you gave him a high rating. Absolutely, I did. I think, I think he's like going to... The Todd Bates apology circle, like, we're sorry. We're sorry. Yeah. You know those guys, and those guys are kind of flashing a little bit. Um, yeah, you know. I so think Marcus I, is going to be a factor. I think he'll be a factor in the rotation, but I more so his, probably than Ashton. Well, you know, once I heard the knee injury thing, and I saw him next to his brother who played college ball, and I'm like, wow, that kid is big. Mm-hmm. He is, and then you watch his film, and you're like, he's really moving around well. So anyway, but he's yeah. not on the list. But that's. That's kind of my, I think the Todd Bates Apology Club is going to be full of people this fall. 100%. And then, man, last guy we got on here, I, I got a hunch of where we're going to lean. Uh, but but Caleb, I'll start with you, man. Jacquez Petaway isn't on campus yet, but but he will be, you know, uh, coming up. Uh, I think he gets here, what, mid-summer? I, I don't remember what the timeline looks like on that. Early um, early ob- June is when early June is when all the, the high school guys should be in like June Okay, 13th. okay. So June 13th. Perfect. So so well, well, what do we think with Petaway? Re- receiver position, maybe a little bit easier in terms of, you know, just maybe what's demanded of them on the field. You know, it's not like picking up the the center position or coming in in there to play quarterback. Uh, well, what do you think about Petaway? Yeah, we're all going the exact same spot here. Like every one of us, is, <laughs> it's it's a buy all day. You know, the past uh, with some of the uh, season preview position stuff we've done, I've actually found some some interesting tape online and found one of Baylor uh, in uh, teaching, describing how they would teach those uh, some of their, their route tree, right? And it's really the concepts around some of their deep choice routes and what they're trying to do as it relates to the outside restric- receiver wants to try to stress vertical. You know, if he can get to a point where he's touching that defensive back, he's he's going to go vertical. If that defensive back bails, he's, he's breaking that back for a comeback. And they get in and start talking about, you know, the spacing they're trying to create to the sideline with the slot and then as well as the spacing vertical. And you look at Petaway and I'm like, my gosh, that's a kid that, you know, whether it's inside or outside, he's got the speed to just stress probably most defensive backs are almost going to face. You know, there's probably, I don't know if there's a lot of teams that have kids that can run like, uh, like Petaway can. I'll be interested to see what he runs this, this, uh, the spring and track because he's a, he's yeah. a burner and, and yeah. you know, the offense is built for for speedy receivers. So yeah, buy all day. What do you what do you think, Chris? Well, where are you leaning with uh, Mr. Right, Petaway? So, so this is a stock thing. So I am desperately hoping that I can hold on Petaway because of really good news coming out of spring about JJ Hester, Nick Anderson, Andrell Anthony, someone, anyone, right? And I'm afraid that in June it's gonna 
bite me in the ass and I'm going to have to pay out big time to buy Petaway stock in June. But I'm going to I'm praying that I can hold for right now. Interesting. I am buying all day and I, I, I probably lean a little different than you. For OU, I don't think it's going to be bad news. Petaway okay. is the most developed route runner I have seen OU recruit. Marvin Mims was definitely up there. I'm trying to think of another, well, which is why Marvin was so successful early on. It, it, speed definitely played a role, and, and he had some of that. Um, but his ability to just hit the nuance of the route running and, and finding open space was where he separated himself. Petaway is better than Mims. The the stuff that Petaway does with his shoulders, with his eyes, things that you're seeing 10-year vets in the NFL do. And I'm no like, you know, the top-notch, you know, understander of, of how the receiver position is played, but there are certain things that guys do or don't do. You know, I liken it to uh, you know, like a crossover in basketball where wh- why does Allen Iverson's work so effectively, but this guy who maybe is just as quick doesn't? What well, has nothing to do with necessarily their speed. It's the illusion of all of the other stuff they're doing. What are they doing with their eyes? You know, d- does does a go route for him, you know, where he maybe stutters, does it look just like his comeback, right? Has he nailed it down so well to the point where everything looks the exact same and the nuances are just there. I think Petaway on top of the speed has those abilities. And I I think freshman year, he's going to be in the six, 700 yard club as a true freshman. I I just think. You remember? Yeah. I I think Penny Stills freshman year. Could be me talking true that's a freshman gr- year. True, yes. fre- true freshman yeah. year. That's a you know, great comparison. Because Clayton was Clayton with red. That was a redshirt freshman. So with Ryan Broyles because of the gasoline thing. Um, had you know and CD and you know Marquise was at JUCO. So was Westbrook. But Kenny Stills' his freshman year was just dynamite. I right think that is a good comp. I, I I think that is a maybe not in terms of play style or or what they're doing there, but but in terms of polish of their game. I, I was watching him run routes in, in a um, on some video with college guys, guys who were juniors, seniors, fifth year seniors at the receiver position, and I think Petaway, by the time he's a junior but probably a sophomore is going to be in in the Marvin Harrison junior kind of strata in terms of ability to play the receiver position like he is he is going to be maybe he's going to be an absolute stud and and I'm I'm holding that all day well I'll be buying that stock in June it'll cost me a an arm and a leg so you know you'll have to sell me some shares 
I love it. Marvin Harrison Jr. is just on the mind because I saw a video earlier today of him rocking an Apple Watch and Louis Vuitton cleats in one of the games this past what? season. Oh, my God. <laughs> College athletes, Louis Vuitton cleats. I don't know what that would cost. And the Apple Watch, the Louis V cleats were one thing. He was tracking his steps in the middle of the game. We got to get your steps in. I mean, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. The commitment to like just getting his steps in. I love it. So here's a question for you guys. Uh, Kenny Stills, freshman year, 786, you know, in yards receiving. Mm. Petaway over, under? Uh, That's a good number. I I think probably right under just by the nature of the offense. Um, no No one steps up. If no one steps up and you're playing, and we think maybe Farouk is doing some slot stuff and stuff like that, if you if Petaway is doing the Marvin Mims deep threat stuff and our quarterbacks can get him the ball, yeah, Petaway could go a thousand yards. I mean that. I mean he can. There's that many. We know how many deep routes are open in this offense, right? I mean. Mims Mims should have had what fourteen hundred yards. He left at least three hundred on the on the on the field yeah. and drops wow. alone. And Petaway, I think Pet, as you said, Petaway, he's a much better wide receiver out of the high school than than Mims. Um, just for what I see, and he's faster. Looks faster too. Um, just feel just game faster. Looks fast game faster. Um, so. If you guys are right, then I would go over because I, I think he becomes 1A, 1B, and he's just – he's ter- I mean, the Baylor offense, you know, the speed guys I remember for Baylor were just were just blowing people away. Katie Corey Cannon Coleman. did, ten, did yeah, yeah. Katie Cannon did 1030 his freshman year at Baylor. Uh, That's a comp right, that's a comp right there. Maybe not – I mean, it is, right, Katie was six foot, 180. Was KD that yeah. short? I always remember him being a taller guy, but maybe not. I think he's got a longer arm, you know, which kind of makes you look a little bit. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah. six foot, uh, 180 pounds, and and could really run. I, you know, that's why I say that the offense is really built for speed. A lot of those 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 routes as they like to do, or you know, it's just different than the air raid. It's a lot about you know. If you're a great route runner, go find grass, find open area, get into a hole and work into that hole, set down, and we'll get you the ball. As opposed to a lot of like the fear and shoot does is, you know, it's if you get if you're getting this coverage and you're here on the DB's hip, you know, we're gonna we're gonna break this off when he, you know, when he turns to run, break it off, right? Come back. If you are even, you're going deep, or let's break this into a slant. You know, it's a lot, it's more aggressive, much more aggressive. What either so way? Guys, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. So if you could, if you could buy stock in one senior or higher player, who would it be? Ooh, Caleb. Fourth, I'll let you go first. Fourth year, fifth year player. Uh senior, fourth or fifth year player on the team. <laughs> uh, it's going to be fun. Trace Ford. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I just I think uh, particularly if they do, you know, watch like him in Oklahoma State, what Jim Knowles did. Jim Knowles did a 
lot of he when he'd go three down, he kept Trace on the field and just bump him out, and he played kind of a, you know, everybody calls that something different. I get what they called it a Leo, uh, but, but he's really comfortable in that, and I could just see, you know, uh, I could see a place where if Trace Ford's healthy. And I know hearing him talk, that's one of the reasons he chose Oklahoma when he got to Norman and he saw all the resources as it related to sports science and nutrition. And he realized, Hey, this is the best place for me. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I could see, I could see him going 10 plus sacks, you know, in a, in a season. So, you know, I, I think the last guy to do that was it, was it Jeremy Bill? That had yeah. Over 10? Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. What did, Oboe have in. Oh, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Oboe did like 10. He is, yeah, like right at 10, or maybe it was some, somewhere in the 8 9 range. It might not have been 10. But I mean, yeah, in, in, in this defense with how they're wanting to be able to get at quarterbacks, um, I, I'm on the line too. I'm going Isaiah Coe. You know, I think it's the, the season slips away, you know, real quick in terms of just remembering what guys were doing. But, you know, this is kind of Coe's last opportunity to, you know, put some amazing tape out there to try and justify the, you know, teams taking him for his his size, right? And then maybe some of, uh, some of the physical capabilities. But towards the end of last season, he was teetering on, on being a pretty darn effective player. And I think another season with Bates, another season with, you know, kind of honing and developing his his body. I, I think Coe could end up really being, along with you know, sort of his tenacity, leadership ability, some of the things that that us fans and people kind of covering the game saw from afar. Um, I think he's got an opportunity to, you know, to really be an impact guy. You know, I, I would not be surprised if you look up and. He's in the running for, you know, a second, maybe first team kind of all conference, you know, type deal. And in fact, I think that bodes well for Oklahoma if he is. If OU gets two guys along the defensive line, whether it's a Ford or a Bothroyd or a Co, either first or second team all American or all conference, all American for sure, but all conference, I think they're probably winning the league. I think it is that impactful, you know, as to what they do across the defensive front. I think if they if they take a couple of those spots, it's going to be a good season for OU. What about you, Chris? I'm going to go Woody Washington. I think surrounded with some leadership in the secondary with Pearson and Bowman being in a third year, possibly having a really good cornerback on the other side so he's maybe seeing the ball a little bit more um because i think you know that that helped colden because i think woody was playing well um during that stretch where colden was getting interceptions i think woody washington is is primed for a big year that i I don't think that's a bad bad outlook and and either way those are the players that are going to need to be effective for this team to reach its potential I mean, all three of those guys are guys who are going to have to be dudes on the defense. And if they're not, if we're not saying their names or saying they overachieved, then it's probably another malign we better, season. We better hope. And, yeah, we, we better hope we're we're talking about names like Makari Vickers, as you know, 
old Big 12 freshman at cornerback or, or you know, Ashton Sanders is flashing or, or you know, or, or PJ is just just flat out the the stud we all think he's going to be. And he just, and Trace Ford is, you know, just giving him tips on, on, uh, on NFL agents in the next two years, something go. like that. But yeah, I think it's, I think I like the guy's picks. I mean, I think where Trace Ford really, I to go back on, I think Trace Ford really helps is maybe he's nothing more than a fourth quarter pass rusher to maintain leads. Right. Cause oh, you couldn't yeah. maintain leads. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, it's like, okay, we're now everyone's throwing the ball against us. We're up by 10 points and it's just throw, throw, throw. Okay. Now all of a sudden I, you know, and my pass rush is getting tired. It's like, you know, break glass, Trace Ford comes in and then all of a sudden the pass rush is energized. I, you know what? I think we, we talked on this and I think one of our group, uh, uh, or maybe on the board about when you really started to look at the 2021 20, Oklahoma season, because Caleb was up and down, right. You know, the, yeah, the Iowa yeah. state games and, and, you know, those games where he wasn't right. It, he, he, he wasn't the guy that was, you know, all world, right. When you really dug into those games and Oklahoma was winning those one score games in 21, the reason was, you know, the other team got that ball back, like whether it was Iowa State or whether it was Nebraska or, you know, insert whomever it was to go down to win the game. West Virginia. Was kind of the one. Yeah, West Virginia. And that would be, well, I guess they snapped the ball over their guy's head, but all the other ones, <laughs> it would be the it would be the one time where you would see uh, Grinch say, okay, give me Isaiah Thomas, give me Perry on Winfrey and give me Nick Minino. You're right, and get them all in the field together at the same time, and they would just come up with you know sack fumble sack sack sack, and it was you know punt and or game over yeah. right. And yeah. I think to your point, right? I think this year to me that's where one of the bigger differences is Ford, a two hundred and probably forty five or fifty pound R. Mason Thomas all twitched up in PJ their ability because of the depth they're going to have with Bothroyd and and Downs. You know, those guys going to be fresh in the fourth quarter. And Brent will be able to say, okay, let's let's get our best four, whatever it is, pass rushers out there and let's get after folks. If if those games are if some of those games are, you know, close, I think that gives or, them a or if OU's got a two-digit, got a double-digit lead that, you know, and and the college game is so it's so biased towards, you know, teams just throwing the ball in the fourth quarter with the clock run, you know, clock stops. It's just like no leads really ever safe. Well, that, that may change with some of the rules, but just you know, it's just a you know, you just could see the pass rushes just getting tired, right? It's just, you know, that's why teams are just throwing the ball all around in the fourth quarter a little bit, uh, in the in the Big Twelve. So I think, you know, OU may maybe to protect leads better because they've got a better pass rush. It's a, For sure. a, a deeper pass rush. Well, one of the teams that is probably the deepest is the team over here at Sooners 360. And we are going to keep bringing you guys this awesome content. Uh, fantastic discussion today, uh, Chris and Caleb. And of course, Matt, well, we wish him well with some of the family stuff that, that he's going through. So uh, the kind of kind of prayers there. Won't go into details, but just is what it is. They're going through some things. So I uh, want to send the well wishes there. But thank you, gentlemen, for uh, the, the awesome stuff tonight. Make sure if you are not subscribed, Go to Sooners360.com. Get yourself a membership right now. Um, all of the info about the recruits, 
um, all, all of the, uh, the tracking who's going to be in Norman this upcoming weekend, spring practice notes that are probably the, the best in the game in, in terms of detail and some of the things that, that we are offering. Uh, the, the sources in that regard are second to none. Uh, so make sure to go check us out, Sooners360.com. Get yourself a membership. Join the forum. Let's talk it out. Have that discussion. We're all active over there. Uh, make sure to rate and review, share, go on Twitter. Let's continue the discussion all over the place. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you soon.